C.S. Lewis said, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right, then have it your way. Hey, everybody, welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 163, and I'm your host, Meg Meeker, pediatrician, mom, grandma, and all-around lover of all kids. You know, I never met a kid I didn't like, and I've worked with some pretty tough kids. Today, we're going to be talking about single moms raising boys. So if you're a single mom or you know a single mom, listen to the podcast In my experience, being a single mother and raising a teenage son is one of the hardest tasks there is. But before we go to the interview, I have a question for you. Do you know one of the most important secrets of raising a great kid? It's understanding yourself as a parent. What are your strengths, your weaknesses? What are your parenting blind spots? These are really important for you to understand, so I created a free and fun quiz for you. In less than five minutes, I will help you identify your parenting style by asking you a few multiple choice questions, and you'll learn about your parenting style, what you're doing right, and what you need to improve on, and I'll share some tips to get you started. Go to meekerparenting.com backslash quiz. It only takes a few minutes. And as I said, it's fun and free. So joining me today on the show is Roland Warren. Roland is an inspirational leader with a heart for Christ and a mind for business. After 20 years in the corporate world with IBM, Pepsi, and Goldman Sachs, Roland spent 11 years as president of National Fatherhood Initiative, before joining CareNet in 2012 as president and CEO. His national media appearances include Oprah Winfrey Show, The Today Show, CNN, C-SPAN, Dateline NBC, Fox News Channel, and Black Entertainment Television. Roland is the author of two books, Bad Dads of the Bible, Eight Mistakes Every Good Dad Can Avoid, and Raising Sons of Promise, a guide for single mothers of boys, which draws on his life experience as a boy raised in a single mom home to provide actionable advice and counsel for single mothers and those who seek to help them. All right, let's get to my interview with Roland Warren on this edition of Parenting Great Kids. Roland, thank you so much for joining me today. You are one of those men in the United States that I have so much respect for. You're smart, you work hard, and you have a strong faith, and that's a pretty good triad. So thanks for coming on my show. No, oh, thank you very much. You're too kind. I got to record. Send that to my wife, too. So she, <laughs> I, I feel too more affirmation. I think she thinks those things. I, I think she thinks those things. But it's good for others. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's right. Um Raising Sons of Promise is your brand new book that came out in December. It's a fabulous book. Before we jump into it, because you have some very unusual chapters in there I want to to get into, but for those in our listening audience who are not familiar with you and the work you do, could you just give us a little bit of your background, particularly, not necessarily the titles, you've had a lot of great titles, but how you grew up and why you got into championing men. 
Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks so much for for having me on on your podcast. Um, well, a, a big part of you know my my story really kind of starts certainly growing up in a home without a dad. When I was about six seven years old, uh, my parents split up. Uh, my mom had been a teen mom, uh, had her first child, my older brother, uh, when she was 16, 17 years old, had me when she was 19. And then by the time she was 23, uh, she had four kids under the age of eight and uh, my dad wasn't there. So that really uh, defined a lot of how I grew up, you know, just watching that experience, living in that experience. Um, and, you know, God really put a sort of a passion on my heart through the midst of all of that, um, kind of helping me kind of see as I got older, you know, the impact of the absence of my father and, and what role that was playing in my life, which frankly, I wasn't aware of that all the time. It took me many, many years to really connect the dots. And then and then certainly um, the impact that that had on my my mom and how she how she parented us. And to complicate things even more, uh, when I was a, a junior in college, I got my girlfriend uh, pregnant, still trying to figure out how that happened. But <laughs> it's probably... <laughs> That's a uh, private conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it did. And um, and she was a uh, sophomore. I was a junior. We were both undergrads at Princeton. And, uh, you know, we you know were encouraged to abort, did not, ended up getting married, had our had our son and been married uh, nearly 40 years. Uh, this will be 40 years this, this May. But, you know, so I became a father very early in life. So here's a kid who grew up without a dad who became a dad uh, very early in life. And so it's kind of an interesting thing that this fatherhood issue the presence of my father the absence of my father me becoming a father trying to wrestle through what that meant uh, in my life became a you know a very important point for me and i worked in the business world um, for about 20 years and, and god called me uh, from uh, i was actually working at goldman sachs at the time to goldman sachs to an organization called national fatherhood initiative which is really focused on helping men be better dads and connecting fathers to their kids heart to heart and so God really had me on a couch for about 12 years there, uh, really dealing with uh, the fatherhood issue, wrestling with my own issues related to fatherhood, a lot of stuff uh, that I had kind of buried in terms of my own experience. Uh, and that was impacting me even as a dad with my sons. I have, two, mm. I have two, two sons by the time my wife graduated from college. She ended up graduating and all the kind of, that kind of stuff. But I really kind of wrestled with a lot of that, uh, a lot of those, those issues. And that really led me down a path where you know, I felt like this was one of the great objects that, that God gave me, like Wilberforce, he had those two great objects, right? I had one great object, which was really helping men be better dads. And then the second one being uh, certainly the issue I work on now, which is protecting the unborn, those two great objects. And, and fatherhood is actually connected to both of those, obviously connected deeply in both of those, in both of those things. And so, yeah, it's really sort of a big part of kind of what I do and who I am and, and, and why God, in my view, why God's kind of called me uh, to uh, the work that I do now. Well, I'm certainly glad he called you. You know, many parents, single parents in particular, divorced parents, will say, you know, my kids are doing great. Um, since a the divorce, they're just, you know, they, they're not really affected. They're doing well in school and they're doing great. And of course, in the typical divorce scenario, at least in Michigan, you know, kids see dad on the weekends or maybe every other weekend and they're with mom all the time. As a child, you must have been in a lot of pain, I imagine. What would you say to the single mom now who has a five or eight-year-old boy? What, what is that boy experiencing if dad has left? You know, it's interesting because that's sort of that's a big reason why I wrote this book, because it's really written 
in a lot of ways from the perspective of, I'm kind of trying to say, I want to tell you what your eight-year-old, 10-year-old son would tell you if he had the kind of communication skills to be able to put that together. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing I try to help people understand is, you know, that, that kids have a hole in their soul in the shape of their dad. I feel like, you know, God whispers into the wombs of their mother that there's going to be this one who's going to love them like no other. And if he's unable or unwilling to fill that hole, it can leave a, a, a very deep wound that's not easily healed. And I say that from the perspective of being a wounded soul. Now, that's not a, a, a criticism of, of what's happening with the mom or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. just the reality of the fact that, you know, that absence matters. I mean, think about this context. I and mean, if you're an adult and you have a very, very close friend, very close friend, you guys have been friends forever. And that person that you're very close close to rejects you. How are you handling that? Now, this is not even a person who's bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. This is not even someone who, by God's design, is supposed to be in a covenant relationship to love you mm-hmm. like no other, right? Mm-hmm. How are you processing that as an adult? Now, take that same rejection, multiply it, and then put it into an eight-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. And, and so I really, I really should help folks understand that. And I think certainly when I look back at my own life uh, and, and a lot of things that came out and, and issues and pain that I had related to that absence uh, didn't, didn't come out for many, many years. But I was doing things that were connected to that absence, to that loss that I, I wasn't really aware of. And I, the other analogy I often use is that sometimes people think about dads in the context of like so you got a pegboard and, and there's a peg that's a dad peg and, and, and we get rid of that peg. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. And they, well, now we're done. Well, now you got to deal with the hole. So the reality is you may be done with the guy, but your son, your daughter never will be because that child is bone of the bone and flesh of the flesh. Mm-hmm. And, and they're going to have to process either the presence of having a father there. So if you're moving home with a dad, you, you kind of understand that. You negotiate around that. And you have to learn how to live with that in the context. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you grew up in a home without a father, now you have to learn how what it means to did not have that. So either way, uh, as a single mom, I want to encourage them to say, look, you got to lean into that and understand that you've got to help him. Obviously, if you're a married mom and the dad's there, you have to help him understand presence. Mm -hmm. But if if, if you're not, then you've got to help him understand absence. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, too often, there's not a whole perspective on helping him, helping the child understand the absence. Mm -hmm. Well, the child doesn't, but you're right. I mean, they feel these very deep emotions and a lot of pain and you're right they can't articulate it the best they can do as they get older is sort of act them out or let them leak out sideways and um you know i i wholeheartedly agree with you and our goal is not to put a guilt trip on anybody listening because a lot of single moms had no choice but why in our world do we continue to tell adults that dads don't matter. I mean, they really, you know, take them or leave them. Um, you know, somebody said to me, why don't we, you know, when a, when a man gets a woman pregnant, what has happened to sort of saying, wait a minute, you have a responsibility here. Why don't we say that anymore? And I said, because I believe that man truly does not believe he's important. So why would he say I need to step up and take responsibility? Because it doesn't really matter. Where does that come from? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I get a little spiritual here. I, you know, from my standpoint, I really think that it kind of starts with the with a narrative that that is really uh, kind of baked in from the evil one. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you think about the Ten Commandments. Like one of the ways I think about this is like, and you got the Ten Commandments. The first, first, you know, four commandments are about our relationship with God, right? Mm-hmm. The last five are about our relationship with man. So if you had sort of a, if you had kind of a visual there of a cross, right? You got the four going up. And then you've got the then you've got that other the other five that are going across. So outreach to God and then connection to man, right? Mm-hmm. So it makes a cross, right? There's that fifth commandment, which is actually that centerpiece that holds those two together, which is honoring your mother and honoring your father. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always the visual I always use is like there are these two nails, right? So there's one nail that God kind of pounds in automatically, like the honoring your mother. In other words, it's very difficult for a woman to say the child that just came out of her is not hers. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So, so that's that's a tough one to pull yeah, off. But, uh, but a man can, yeah. Exactly. So so the gut is a different one. And the culture historically, right, had said, no, that's an important nail for us to put in. Right. Now, if you're going to raise that up and afford to make a cross, you need at least two nails, mm. which is one of the reasons why I talk about, like, just the spiritual development. You think that this child, this young man's going to follow Christ at that point. Those those pieces of wood are on the ground. So it looks like a cross. But when he has to stand up and take that faith and own it himself, there's a there's a fall. You see what I'm saying? Yes, so I do. I really believe that it takes at least two nails to hold that together. Honor your mother, honor your father. Now. If the evil one has a plan for folks not to honor the heavenly father, Mm -hmm. the best strategy is to have earthly fathers, which are supposed to be a temporal reality of a heavenly reflection, right? right? Like this mirror that's reflecting that, for that father to be dumb, dangerous, or disaffected. Mm -hmm. So when I was with National Fatherhood Initiative, God gave me this insight that this is this is bigger than that, that that it's actually really tied to the kind of spiritual development and really being able to say our father, which is how Christ taught us to pray. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to have a hard time saying our father in any way that where, where, where there's a hopeful expectation. If the earthly father, which is my father, <laughs> right, right, is not a good man. Right. So I think that there's there's a there's a spiritual component to this that people don't really connect to that I think is really, really central here. See, I think about fatherhood as common grace, like rain and, you know, the wind and the sun and all that stuff is common grace that falls on the wicked and the just. Well, fathering is a common grace thing. And you know that because when Christ was even talking to folk, right, obviously a bunch of men, he said, he said, though you are evil, right, you know how to give your kids good things, Mm -hmm. How much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask? In other words, the presumption was that earthly fathers would be good, that they would not give their kid stone instead of bread or a snake instead of fish. That's the presumption or else that whole framework that Christ used there wouldn't have made any sense. And so I really believe there's a spiritual context to this um, that that plays out in a big way that kind of gets reflected into the culture uh, as well. I love that. And I and I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think that, you know, in order to be close to God, the father, you have to like the word father. And I think that many people who have a bad experience of an earthly father really have a tough time with God because I, I've seen this in women. I don't know about men, but they say, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm not interested in a, in a father. I'm not interested in that part of God. Your first chapter in Raising Sons of Promise, a guide for single mothers of boys, is I am Ishmael. Now, many of our listeners may not know who Ishmael is, but can you briefly tell us the story and why that's so important to start your book off with? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. It's kind of a kind of pull off of the kind of Moby Dick phrase. And it's a very interesting quote that I use to kind of start start the book that really talks about that, uh, you know, what's important is, is is much bigger than even what I'm saying. Uh, the whole narrative of what I'm talking about is even more important than that, which is one of the quotes from from the, the book Moby Dick. But, you know, this this notion about being Ishmael really comes from the story that I use as an archetype. Uh, for a single mom and raising a boy, which is the story of Hagar and Ishmael. And, and you know, kind of refresher on the story real quick, you know, that, you know, that Abraham has had this desire to have a son for many years. God has, or a child for many years, actually a son and heir for many years. God's promised him that that was going to happen. And um, he gets a little impatient and Sarah comes with a plan that basically says, here's the plan. Right. Mm -hmm. And he didn't check with God to see if this is God's plan. It's a Sarah's plan. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's basically for why don't you take, you know, my maidservant, Hagar, and, you know, and then produce an heir through uh, through through her. And and they sound weird to us today. But back then, that was kind of the way that you did kind of surrogate parenting. Right. Like now we can actually do stuff. But that's what they did. It wasn't a weird structure. And that child would actually be Abraham's heir. And it also would be Sarah's child. It was a surrogacy process. And so Abraham says, hey, that sounds like a plan. So he does that. And uh, Hagar conceives. And that's the process. And, and, and she eventually gives birth uh, to a son uh, named that, that she names Ishmael. Now that's kind of the context of the story. Mm -hmm. The reason why that's a central point for me in this book is because I wrote a book before this called Bad Dads of the Bible, mm -hmm. Eight Mistakes Every Good Dad Can Avoid. And one of the chapters that I wrote, looking at men in the Bible solely through the lens of fatherhood. So I looked at David and you know Samuel and, and, and Abraham solely through the lens of fatherhood. And what I found was that many of these you know sort of patriarchs in scripture um, weren't very good fathers. Right. And Abraham in particular, every time you kind of hear people talk about Abraham, it's about him as a father to Isaac. Right. But the reality is Isaac wasn't the firstborn. Ishmael, Ishmael was. was the firstborn. Mm -hmm. And, I, and so when you start to look at the story of Abraham and Ishmael, the bad dad mistake was abandoning your child. Mm -hmm. And so I use that narrative to talk to fathers about the impact of, of father absent. As I, as I was writing that chapter, I realized that I was Ishmael. Mm. It's a very difficult situation for me because of what happened with my own dad and sort of that disconnection. And I actually have a younger brother that he has through, through, through with it, with his second wife and all of that. And I, it was very emotional for me when I wrote that. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm Ishmael. I'm Ishmael. As I started to read through that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, yeah, my, my mom is a bit of Hagar. Because the basic principle there is a guy made a promise to you and then he didn't keep it. So that that's how the book starts with that story, my story, my story with my mom and me having that insight and then using that. But I think that's a critical insight because I think that when you juxtapose Ishmael and Isaac, you know, you always think of Isaac as the strong kid who, you know, laid on the altar when his dad brought him up there. And I thought, you know, I couldn't. And then you sort of look at Ishmael as, well, you know, he was kind of the, the sidekick, the side son, the Abraham's first go round. And I'd love to read that quote from Moby Dick, because I think it's beautiful, beautifully describes what you're talking about. If you must give me a name and identity, then call me Ishmael, for it is not important nor does it matter who I am. I am not the focus of what I narrate. 
what I narrate is bigger and more important than me. And I love that, but it really would have been hard to be an Ishmael. And you're saying you were one and there are hundreds of thousands of other boys out there who feel like that. And that doesn't mean that every boy who's raised by a single mother experiences the same thing. But I think it is important to let mothers know, let single mothers know that they have their work cut out for him and them and the work they have is different from the work that a married mother has. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, you have to think about what happened here with Ishmael. So Ishmael, basically for 13 years, believes that he's the son of the promise. Mm -hmm. And you got to think about this. You know, it's sort of like Abraham, you know, he's like doling with this kid. He's carrying him everywhere. It's kind of like, Oprah, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. I mean, that, that kind of thing. It's like, yeah. You know, yeah. Right? right? I mean, he like every, this will all be yours. This will be like, and so this boy is growing up until he gets to be 13 with this belief that he is the son of the promise, right? Mm-hmm. Is the son of the promise. And then Isaac is born. And when he's three years old, essentially Ishmael and Hagar are kicked out of the camp. And this boy watches his mother almost die. She watches him almost almost mm-hmm. die. And it's interesting because early on in the pregnancy, Sarah starts to have some problems with Hagar. And it's a typical baby mama drama that you would expect, yeah. right? Yeah. It, you know, and she runs away and she's running. She doesn't know where she's going. And, and an angel comes to her and finds her in that moment, right? And it's interesting because what, what Hagar says in that moment is is, is so critical because what she what she really says is that, um, what really is it's kind of clarifying for her is that she's seen. That in other words, there's a God who sees me, and that's just so powerful. And that's kind of the theme throughout the rest of the book in terms of speaking to Hagar, that you have a God who sees you. But the other thing that happens is, is that Hagar is kind of told about what how what Ishmael is going to be, mm-hmm. right? And and it's not that he he's not the son of maybe that promise, but he's got another mm-hmm. promise, right? And, and but there's a part of that which which is really interesting to me because it talks about uh, Ishmael being you know basically sort of a donkey of a man at war with all his brothers and I you know as I read that earlier I thought well gosh is that descriptive or prescriptive mm-hmm. right and I think that it, it it really is descriptive because if you're a boy who for 13 years was affirmed and loved by a father and then rejected and you watch your mother be rejected. You could become a, a certain kind of guy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And our prisons are full of Ishmael. All of them. Mm-hmm. Full of Ishmaels. Mm-hmm. It's a, full of Ishmaels, guys who've been rejected in that way. It's a deep, deep, deep wound. And so I always try to tell, prepare single moms to like, just understand that. Just understand that. And that you've got to help with, with that. And there's a hope in that because God, what the angel actually tells her is that there is a promise for your son. And that's what my encouragement for single moms, there's a promise for your son. It may not have been the one that you thought, but there's a promise for your son. And basically the angel says, you, he's going to be a father of, of many nations. And of course he is. So anyway, that's what resonated, what resonated with me in terms of that story. And so I started this process of kind of thinking through uh, writing, writing this book, uh, Raising Sons of Promise, a guide for uh, single mothers of boys, basically using Ishmael and Hagar as an archetype for a single mother raising, raising a son. 
Well, parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Roland Warren. Honestly, he's one of the smartest men I've ever met. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest is Roland Warren. You know, I love the way you've divided the book because you have the first part really talking to to moms and how they need to deal with what they've been through and how they need to deal with what happened, the rejection they feel from, you know, the father of their baby and from God. And then you go through forgiving your Abraham, which is amazing. And then if your Abraham returns, and it's interesting as a woman who studied Hagar, I never studied her relationship with Ishmael as much. All I saw in the studying was God's kindness and his nurturing of Hagar, but I never really thought about that dimension of her. In the second part of your book, so you talk about your journey and then leading your son's journey. In the in the second part of the book, you talk about understanding your son's world. And that is so important because as women, it's hard to understand how men perceive the world. And it's really hard to see how our young sons would see the world and what comes at them. So can you talk us through that a little bit about understanding your son's world today in the present tense? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting uh, because the concept of kind of trying to, trying to see your son's world. I think a big part of what, what, what I do on that part of the book, but also just an overarching principle is that, see, you and your son are on the same path, but you're not on the same journey. And that's really a very important insight for a mom, um, for a mom to have. It's like if you and I, Meg, we're walking someplace together and we get to that destination and somebody pulls me aside and you aside and says, hey, so what did you see? I'm pretty certain that we're not going to say that we saw exactly the same thing. Right, we were on the right. same path, but we had a very different journey in terms of what we were doing. And so, so on the, for, for the son's perspective, it's like, here's the journey that he's on. He's on a journey, you know, of going from boyhood to manhood. Mm-hmm. That's a different journey than you've never been on that journey. Right. Right. So you've right. never been on that journey. So you need to understand that when he's on that journey from going boyhood from boyhood to manhood, there's some different things that are in his world that were not in your world. The way that that boys process the world, the way the boys look at the world, the way the culture looks at boys. And we're trying to take that away from boys. We're, we're I, I think we're trying to really. Well, and mothers, as a mother of a grown son now, and and I had three daughters, there's this sense that you want your son to experience what you want, but but you want to understand him so badly that you kind of squeeze him into your experience and try to relate through that. And I'll never forget the day my son said to me, because he's a, the youngest, I don't want to call him the baby, see, he's almost 30 and I still want to call him the baby. <laughs> he looked down at me at 18 And he said something profound. He said, mom, quit talking to me as though there's something wrong with me. Mm. And as and as a mother, I was so concerned that he'd get bullied or somebody say this or something. He'd feel rejection. So I talk him through it. And he and what he got from that was, why do you think I'm not okay?" And I think that doting mothers, conscientious, well-read mothers believe that a lot of what goes on inside of our ourselves is what goes on inside of our sons, but it 
doesn't. And we can't impose our thoughts and feelings and experiences onto them and then try to relate to them. It just doesn't work. So ever since then, that was a real eye opener for me. And I never called him boy again. I always address him as man <laughs> because, you know, because I realized I was treating him like a little boy who really didn't get life and I had to help out. Well, and I think that that's a very important thing here. And I, I was inspired by the story of Hagar from the context that sort of the last time you hear about Hagar is that you, you hear that she found a wife for Ishmael. And that really was interesting because because the challenge there for for a single mom is this question of, you know, what kind of not just what kind of man is your son going to become, but what kind of husband is he going to become? What kind of father is he going to become? And, and, you know, it's difficult to be what you don't see. So if, if he hasn't been in an environment that's seen it, how are you going to help him be different? And that's what I see. I'm, I'm African-American. And, you know, in our community, the, the out of wedlock rate is very high. Marriage rate is very low. Uh, I grew up in a single mother home, pretty much in many ways, a single mother culture. Mm -hmm. And so that whole modeling around being a husband and being a father, it really wasn't something that was that I saw readily, except in church, which is a whole nother another point, but which was very si significant for me in terms of defining my life. But that whole perspective of asking yourself the question, what kind of husband, what kind of father is he going to be? You know, and I do that uh, with, with single moms. I ask the question, like, well, what kind of husband is he going to be? And and what I found, what I find often is they, they've never even been asked that question before. They don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. and, and then instinctively, a lot of times they'll say, well, he's going to be a good one. And I appreciate that. Right. I'm like, OK, well, why is that? Well, I'm going to teach him how to be one. Well, actually, no, you're going to teach him how to be a good single mother. Yes. <laughs> Which is exactly what he's not going to be. And here's the yes. thing that's unfair, but true. The better job you do as a single mother, the more you're teaching that he doesn't have to be there, not that he does. Exactly. Right. So unless you have unless you have the security and transparency to say, listen, this is not what I want for you. I, I don't want you to be the kind of man who would leave a woman in the in the context that that I'm being left in and that leaves her children in the context that takes a certain presence of mind. And therefore, you, you can kind of relieve yourself of like being upset or being feeling guilty because you can't be something that you're not designed to be. That's why I hate mm -hmm. these, these Hallmark. Well, maybe Hallmark maybe doesn't do anymore, but these card companies that that have the, the Mother's Day cards on Father's Day. Like, no, no, she's not being a father. She's being a mother, which is an amazing, amazing role. But there's still a fathering part that, that needs to be done. And so part of the, that second process is how you help him, the second part of the book, rather, is how you help him be what he didn't see, how you can bring godly men into his life to mentor what it means to be not just a good man, but also a good husband and a good father, how you can break that cycle so that your grandchildren are not growing up in a context where a father is is not there and left to its own devices what you're actually modeling is the very thing that i'm that i'm confident that you don't want for for your for your grandchildren because i haven't met a single mother yet who said look i hope that my son is the kind of guy that can get women pregnant and just leave them mm -hmm. <laughs> you know or my daughter right. is someone that a guy will get pregnant and just leave and no one wants that well if you don't want that then you're gonna have to intentionally do some things and that's a lot of what i've unpacked through the book you know we only have a few minutes left and i'm sure there's some mothers out there you know, maybe not just single mothers, but women whose husbands are never around. They work all the time. They travel all the time because you have a whole book full of it. And I know you can't summarize it into a, a couple of bullet points, but I want to leave single moms with um, some hope here and some things yeah. to do. What are three or four very 
practical things that a single mother can do to help her son become a good husband and become a good dad? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the first the first thing really has to do with just having the insight and the desire that that's the desire that you have for him. And I, I think that I'm a big proponent of, of praying through that and praying that over your son. That this is this is and, that, and I really believe that's kind of a perspective that Hagar had. She she wanted her her son to be a husband and a father. And so she found him a wife. And my view is that she was on this journey. Right. Her part of the journey was to help him become not just a good man, but a good but husband and a good father. So praying through that is such an important thing and kind of claiming that because, you know, that's God honoring for for him to, to break the cycle that way. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, it's very practical from, from my standpoint. Look, if you want your son, your son to be a, you know, an NBA star or a rocket scientist or whatever it is, what do you do? Well, you get him around folks. If you want to be an NBA star, they play basketball really well. Yeah. And you and you get coaches for him. If you want to be a rocket scientist, what do you do? Well, if you wanted to be a good husband and a good father and a good man in that context, what do you do? Well, you need to to find men who can kind of speak into that. And, and you really want to be intentional about that. In other words, I have a process I call being a double duty dad in the book that I unpack in terms of finding men who could be good mentors. And I call them double duty dads. And I don't have time to go through all that. But you're looking for a guy within your own circle of influence who will take your son on in a mentoring type relationship, but not just to be a good man, but also, look, I want you to be, I want, when you're with my son, I want you to point out things about being a good husband. Mm -hmm. and I want you to, I want you to show that to him. When you did it, well, this is what a good husband does. Mm -hmm. This is what a good father does. I want you to be intentional about speaking that and communicating that to him. That was a real saving grace for me that even though I grew up in a home uh, uh, without a dad, I went to church. And I saw, you know, my pastor being a good husband and a good father to his kids. And it cast a vision for me mm -hmm. that I said, well, so when I got my girlfriend pregnant, the notion of being a father without being a husband, those things just I couldn't see that. That wasn't even in my worldview. I couldn't even connect that perspective. Well, how did that happen? Because my single mom made sure I went to church and I got involved and connected mm -hmm. to men who were doing that and and, and, and modeled that that as well. And I think the, the, the last thing I would say. It's so important that you um, enter into his world before you expect him to enter yours. Like a lot, it's like you you really have to enter into his world, mm -hmm. and it's a messy place sometimes for boys. They don't communicate the way that girls do. They're not as verbal. Um, there's a whole a lot of stuff about how boys develop, you know, verbally and, and emotionally. That's very very different from the way girls. Uh, girls do so becoming a student of, of the way that he engages physically emotionally and, uh, and spiritually like how you connecting into all those kinds of things and it's all stuff that, that, that you can do but you just have to understand the way that he's relating to the world and the world the way the world expects him to relate to it is very different from from what you had so you become a student of your own son in that regard and the last thing i would say is lean in even when you, you think that he's telling you to lean out yeah um, uh, you, you really do. I mean, kids, a lot of times, particularly boys will push you away and this and the other. You hug them anyway. You kiss them anyway. Oh, get, I'm telling you, as a, as a kid, frankly, who didn't get a whole lot of that, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, they desperately, desperately need that affirmation, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. affirmation, because that hold is still there. And then the final thing I would say is that you really have to um, be open and willing to reconnect with that father. And that's a whole, I talk about that. Oh, that's a tough place to land on, Roland. Well, there, there's a whole section that's a, yeah, of, whole, there's a Abraham whole book on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but you're so right. 
Yes. You're so yes. right because you're, the instinct is, and I don't know if your mother did this, man, you're mad. And man, yes. Hagar must have been mad today. I would have. You know, yes. I would have had some choice words for this guy who was supposed to be such a big hero in the Bible. <laughs> and, um, but that's our instinct. But I, I think as women, that's why we need books written by men exactly like this, because there's no way we can get inside our son's world, understand how they're experiencing things, understand what they're up against, and certainly understand what they feel unless we read and are open to taking it all in because men and women, boys and girls, um, no matter what anybody tells you are profoundly different people. So Rollin, thank you so much for, for writing Raising Sons of Promise, a guide for single mothers of boys. It's really more than a guide. I think it's, it's a peek into the mind and the heart of a boy. And I think that any mother who really wants to do a great job, and she can as a single mom, um, raising yes. a son, needs to read the book so that she can understand. So, Rollin, thank you so much for joining me today on Parenting Great Kids. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate all that you do. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Roland Warren. Don't forget to check out his fabulous book, Raising Sons of Promise, a guide for single mothers of boys. If you're a single mother, you need to read it. If you know a single mother who is raising sons, get it to them as a gift. Now on to my points to ponder. One, face your feelings about yourself. Many single mothers feel like failures, even though they didn't choose to be single moms. They live with guilt about how their singleness affects their sons in particular. If you struggle with these feelings, face them. They should not be allowed to control you or impact your sons. The only way to get rid of them is to face them head on, then accept them and heal from them. You'll feel so much lighter and freer. Of course, this is important for your son, but it's equally important for you too. Forgive the one man, probably, who wounded you. Again, this will help your son, but it'll have a profound effect on your mental health. When we harbor bitter feelings toward another person, in this case, an ex-husband or a man who abandoned your child, they have power over this. Don't let them have the power. The way to get free from it is through forgiveness. Now, I know many object to forgiveness, but if you really want to be free, only way is through forgiveness. Three, stay connected and help your son find purpose. All sons struggle with their identities, particularly during the teen years. Sons of single mothers can struggle even more because many harbor unhealthy feelings about manhood that they may have picked up from their feelings towards their father. When they don't know who they are, or why they're valuable. Help your son understand that he was put on earth for a purpose. Your job is to help him find that purpose, and together you can. This is critical to your son's emotional health. Parents, you know that parenting great kids is simple but it's hard. And what most of us don't realize is that raising a great kid starts with us. 
So what kind of parent are you? Are you indulgent, balanced, hands-off, controlling? To find out, take my free parenting style quiz. A few questions will help you identify your style, what you're doing well, and where you might need a little bit of work. I'll offer you tips at the end to move forward. So check it out, makerparenting.com backslash quiz, or you can find the link in the show notes. I want to thank my guest, Roland Warren, for joining me on the show today. You can follow him at care-net.org. Once again, that's care-net.org. You can also follow Roland on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Roland Warren in your internet browser. Remember, parents, go to meekerparenting.com and check out my brand new quiz. You will have so much fun. And always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Not born.